0: All right, so tonight we have our uh, Awana Christmas program. I don't usually dress like this, Um, and so we just have a few songs and verses the kids have been working on over the last few months that uh, they're going to do for you tonight. So um, if you're not really familiar with the Awana program, that's our kids program here at the church, and it's all the way from preschool all the way up into sixth grade. And so the first group of kids that we have are our cubbies. That's our kind of preschool ages from three years, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. And so they are going to be up first. Sorry, we're going to go ahead and open in prayer first, even though the cubbies already went. I, th- I feel like we should, uh, I missed that, so that's my fault. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son and um, just this time of year that we're able to celebrate that with um, family, with friends, and, and coming to church and celebrating you here. And I pray that you would be with us, be with all the traveling that uh, everybody's going to be doing here in the next few days. Um, That you would uh, just give everyone safety um, as they're doing that. And just uh, bring us all back here to your house on Sunday. In your son's name, amen.
1: started off with a couple of Christmas carols, and now we'll sing a couple of Christmas carols, shall we? I think we'll do the ones about the angels tonight, so let's stand and we'll sing together. Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
2: angels from the realms of glory.
3: Daughter-in-law in Arizona, so they did an oblation, an ablation uh, surgery last week. Didn't take. Did another one this week. Didn't take. Uh, at this point, they're going to either transfer to another state to a specialist hospital, or and or put her on a heart transplant uh, list. She's 58. They have two young kids. Or 53. I'm sorry. She has. They have two young kids that they've adopted uh, within the last couple years, three years, so uh, if you would just remember them in your prayers, I know they'd appreciate it. Robert's having a CT scan, right, is that right? Uh, Tomorrow evening, so uh, pray for him as they're trying to figure out what that pain is that does making it difficult for him to walk around, so I pray for that. And we've already opened the prayer, so I'm going to let you take it, and we have prayer time.
2: I'm, uh, I'll be talking about this subject uh, and uh, as, we, as we wrap it up tonight, um, I really want to do two things. I want to kind of pull it all together and get it wrapped up and and then just to, to leave you with a little bit of homework on your own for, for your own future and for your own benefit. And so last week, remember, we had this uh, technological glitch and we, didn't, we weren't able to get to the video. Um, that's the link to it and that's the title of it. This, this particular slide is going to come up on the end, so. Those of you that take pictures and want to go home and then try to, to find it, um, you'll be able to do that. All right. Uh, in the midst of things, a couple of weeks ago, um, Vicky Fox, okay, uh, uh, mentioned to me um, this book. Um, and then Jeff Stevens, who comes to the morning service, um, this is his son, Jeremy Stevens. He lives up in, in the Noblesville area. He wrote this about ten years ago. And the, the 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 beauty of this book is, first of all, it's small, it's concise, it's written in a way that, that all of us can easily understand. It's not written as a technical academic piece, and yet it is incredibly accurate, easy to read. It's based on a literal Bible-based history, right? So he 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 begins right from the very beginning that talking talking about the fact that our Bible gives us the history that we need to know and the history that we need in order to be able to understand what's coming next. Um, and it's geopolitically accurate. That is to say that in terms of um, modern history, uh, he's, he got it all right. Um, and he, he didn't twist and turn things in order to make it fit some kind of a a, a, a co- contrived perspective on this. It's also, from, from our perspectives, um, it's, it's dispensationally oriented. It, it has the idea, it includes the idea of a pre tribulation return of Christ and a premillennial aspect of, the, of the, return, the, uh, the seven years of the tribulation. And he begins with the philosophy that the Bible says what needs to be said and says it in clear terminology that doesn't require uh, what is sometimes called um, hermeneutics gymnastics. All right. um, when, I, when I came to know the Lord back 50-some years ago, that would have been in the 70s, 1970s, and that was the day and age of, of many of these um, philosophy preachers, philosophy, or not philosophy, but... Um, what's the word that I want? Prophecy. These, these prophecy conferences and so forth and so on, and, 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 and you listen to them, and you, you know, they, they tried to make every little jot and tittle equal something in the present day, right? Um, and it doesn't work. And by the time you get finished with doing all that, all the typology and so forth, you have a completely convoluted understanding of, of what's there and you're trying to find things out that aren't, that you don't even really need to know. And we don't need to know. No. And so the way he did this, um, and it, like I said, um, it's, it's, it's accurate up to 10 years ago, which is when he wrote it. And I talked with him here about a week ago and um, and talked to Jeff this morning um, and pastor, um, Jeremy and I said, well, why don't we just bring it up to date? So I don't know. We may get into that as a, a, you know, how do we understand this, uh, you know, moving forward. But uh, first of all, Jeff has additional copies of these. So if you want one of these, he's more than happy to give them to you. So I would, you know, for those of you that want to do some more reading, and, and to, to not have to read through and have to sort out and sift out and whatever, um, this is a great. And it's, it's you know, it's our, our teenage kids, grandkids could understand this. I mean, that's how, how nicely it's written. It's not written in a, in a just a, a raw academic way. Um, so I, I would, I would encourage you to do that, um, to just to, to put together more of the pieces than I've been even even been able to come close to covering, uh, in the six weeks that we've been doing this. So. Now, I I put this map up because if we're going to understand what's going on in the Middle East today, we have to understand the geography. Okay, when I say geopolitical, the geo is the geography, right? It's what does the map look like? What what does the topography look like? And so when you you look at this map and you see um, where the Mediterranean Sea is, you see that brown, that little brown sliver... Um, on, the, on the right end of the, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea. That's Israel. And, and then the, that little blue section is what we call the West Bank. Um, and you can't even see it, but up in the northern corner of, of Israel um, on the border with Syria is what, what we know as the Golan Heights, all right? And then you see Jordan, um, what was Transjordan after World War I, and then Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan over there, Pakistan, et cetera, and then the stands up to, up above that. And then Turkey's that little brown sliver, but that's it Turkey's really out of the picture for the most part for most of what we're talking about. And then you see the size of Egypt and the size of Saudi Arabia. Well, as we as we take a look at this and we try to understand what's happened and how to understand the present, having this picture in your mind and you see how small Israel is, how big Egypt is, how, how much larger than Israel. Jordan is and Syria, Lebanon is the only near equivalent in terms of size of a country, right? But, but Iran, Iraq are, are one or two steps removed away. They're not a near neighbor to Israel. And, and that's important to understand because when you're dealing with war and you're dealing with boundaries, you're dealing with how do you, how do you move all your war equipment and you then have your, what we call our log chain, the logistics chain. Um, Distance matters, all right, Um, and and so this becomes extremely important. Now, when we talk about the Mideast Wars, the history of conflict is based on the ability to be able to prosecute a, uh, a war or a battle successfully, right? And there are a variety of things that are that are part of this. So when we, when we take a look at this, and we start to think through what would happen back in World War I, what we have to understand is that this is just a ramping up of, of what has been going on for millennia. Right? Israel has been, and the Jews have been, um, the, the source or the cause for many conflicts throughout the whole host of, of history. The Old Testament is filled with captivities and so forth and so on, and then, um, in the book of Esther and, and with Haman, etc., and in other situations like that in, in the Bible. All right, And so there was, an, there was an undercurrent in World War I as it related to Israel. You know, there was the, there was, what do we do with the Jews? That, that, that question is asked in geopolitical circles, diplomatic circles, and it has been asked since that really became part of the, the, the modern world, which, which kind of came to, together in the, in the mid-1800s, where you have Europe as is, is kind of, it's no longer a feudal area, it's no longer, you know, just a, a bunch of countries and, and, and ethnic groups, etc. And so, it was, it was starting to spin up on, in World War I. We get to, when we, when we get to World War II, and of course, we think of Germany and we think of the Holocaust, but the thing that you have to understand is that when we talk about when we talked about anti-Semitism, and that is anti-the Jew. France has a level, a degree of anti-Semitism. So does Britain. So does Russia. In addition to many, many other countries. All right? So that's some, something that's in the background. It may not be the, the primary subject that's discussed. But World War II and World War I were really the first two major wars where one of, the, one of the trigger points for the war, the reason for the war, had to do with the Jews and the Jews in the land. right? Uh, because you remember that it's, it's been like almost 2,000 years since the Jews were really a, a group of people in Israel. They've been spread around the world, and, and we, we recall we, we talked about the issue of they'd lost their language, they'd lost their history, they'd lost their culture. When we get to um, the end of world War, world War II, we get to uh, April 15, 1948, uh, we get into what is called the First Arab-Israeli War. Now, <clears throat> we're going to use some words in tonight to help To understand the level of conflict, all right, and the nature of the conflict, because you can have serious issues and serious conflicts without it being a war. But you have to understand what does that really mean, Um, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. So this is the first Arab-Israeli war, which formally begins at this point. Okay, the war portion of it begins, but it began in 1947. As a civil war, and I notice I did not capitalize "civil" nor, nor "war," because it was a civil conflict, and it was of, of substantial nature. And, and what was going on in Palestine at the time was was a conflict, and it was it was um, it, it was a civil it was a civil conflict that could be like between cities or between localities or whatever. So it was it was of substantial nature, but it wasn't at the area at the level where it's ramped up and it's it's formally a war we'll talk about about so by the 1950s and 60s what begins to happen in in Palestine is is the Palestinian fedayeen insurgency all right now we're going to see some additional words here when we have an insurgency it's not a formal war it's not like you have the army of country A and the army of country B it you have it's it's almost like a band of cartels or a band of, two bands of bullies, you know, that are that are fighting each other. And there, there are multiple, multiple groups, and an, an insurgency is, is very unplanned, unpredictable, um, and, and almost all, impossible to follow, all right, to be, to be quite honest with you. But we had this insurgency for, for like 10 years was going on, and so there was this constant conflict in, in Palestine. Both within what was then Israel, and remember the boundaries for Israel, and the, who owned what land um, in Israel at what era was was all what was this all It was all about trying to get more land and, and to make Israel not uh, not part what we call Israel today, um, not Israeli, but to make it Arab. Well, <clears throat> the conflicts continue, and in, in uh, July 26, 1956. Um, France, Britain, and Israel go to war with Egypt. Right? This is the Suez Crisis, um, and the question is to who is going to have uh, control of the. This is going back to the British Mandate. Who's going to control the Suez Canal? Because whoever controls the Suez Canal uh, controls all of the shipping. Right? Um, and, and so that was an extremely important thing. And the British and the, and the French were saying, um, "Okay, so Israel, you know, we're we're going to let you come along with us and." And we're going to fight this thing. Well, this was this was an opening of the eyes of the of the Israelis when they when they went into this war, and they, they began to realize that that where they lived was was going to be in conflict forever, basically. And they 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 finally started to think through. Well, what does that mean for us? What do we need? To, how do we need to prepare? How do we need to train? Because they were they were going to war with the British and the French, who both had longstanding armies and militaries, navies, and, and a, a growing air force, okay? And so the, 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 the Israelis realized that if they have to go along alone, they need to be ready, all right? So what happened in, in 1956 was, <clears throat> it's the first war. Well, Egypt was summarily slapped down, and really there was nothing left of Egypt if, as if there was anything there to have anyway, except for you know piles of sand. I mean, the Egyptian military at this point in time, well, if it was a military, it wasn't a modern military by any stretch of the imagination. All right? And by the time they got finished with this this crisis, um, Egypt basically, you know, said, "Okay, fine." And as a as a a, a way of um, kind of making the Egyptians say, "Okay, we'll do this." The United States said, "Well, we'll just build the Aswan Dam, so that you can, you know, you've got some benefit from from this." And, and just so you've got the, the hydroelectric and, and the Nile River is going to be under control instead of the flooding. Um, it'll be able to be used for irrigation and things along that line a lot more. But it was the first time where modern, uh, the modern military and all the components of it, from the rifle all the way up to artillery and aviation and so forth, uh, and, and including modern ships, became a real serious issue in the Middle East. Then we get to 1967, and so it it was kind of a a dead point. I mean, the the economies of Syria, Jordan, Egypt, et cetera, were were on the rocks. I mean, that whole area, apart from Israel, is basically poverty-stricken, has been, continues to be, and there are reasons why it is is such. So now, in, in 1967... When we when we talk about the Six Day War, this is Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, and you know, remember, Jordan is to the southwest, Syria is to the north, Jordan is to the east. So there's a sense in which these three countries decided, well, if the three of us get together, we should be able to knock out Israel. The the um, the humor in this is is this: it was a Six Day War. The, 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 Israel, the Israeli military basically went on full alert, went to work, got the job done, and they went home and had, you know, Sabbath on Saturday. I mean, it was quite literally that quickly. And, and Syria, Jordan, and Egypt—whatever military that they had was no more. They were basically thrown back into the dark ages, where it was spears, bows and arrows, and knives. I mean. Quite literally. I mean, they basically completely destroyed not only um, their military, but whatever um, industrial economic infrastructure there was in those three countries, there was nothing left. But when we, <coughs> when we, when we understand this, you know, we, we, we look at it, so what, what was the Middle East known for? Well, the only country in the Middle East that was known for anything by anybody else in, in, in the world was Lebanon. And do you know what Lebanon was, the nickname for Lebanon was? The French Riviera of the Middle East. And so you, you get that in your mind. So what, what was going on in the Riviera? It's playtime. Casinos, drinking, I mean, and everything else that goes along with it. And that's, that's basically the economy of Lebanon. Now, the, the beaches in, 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 in Lebanon were gorgeous. I mean, as gorgeous as they were in France. But that, that was the extent of it. I mean, that's, that's where they were. So, so now we have the Suez Canal. Egypt got knocked out of the, out of the, out of the game once. 1967, we get to the Six-Day War. Um, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria are basically knocked out of the equation because there's, they've got nothing to bring to the table if they're going to go to war. And then we have the beginning of... Another form of conflict in the Middle East from 1967 to 70. And it's what's called the War of Attrition. The the point was that the countries that surround Israel realized they could not go nose-to-nose with Israel. If they were going to do anything, they had to be able to come up with a way to to, to basically take it down by small nibbles. And so it was called the War of Attrition. And they they basically sent in teams, and, and they would, you know... Bomb or blow up or something, but it was it was very difficult to to um, track it, to predict it, etc. It was the bus bombing and, and all of the rest of that. I, I mean, I can remember this. Um, I was in the military, active duty at the time when this was going on, and it was it was it was the constant discussion that we had in in our intel circles. And what was going on is the the Israelis were realizing, well. This is our land. This is where God wants us. But what are we going to do with these neighbors of ours who are just making life difficult for us all the time? So they, they basically went to work to put together what, what is, is well-known as perhaps the most capable intel community on the planet. Right? And it's not just something that they apply in Israel. They, they are amazing with all the equipment, with the personnel, everything. Um, whether it's human, and then that basically they send out their their spies across the Middle East, and so they were able to have ears on the ground and to be able to see what's going on and hear what's going on. And so during this period of time, the Israelites um, were were becoming more astute, more aware, and more capable of handling even this, Non-kinetic is words that we would use in the military. This not, you know, front uh, conflicts that you know you're head-to-head, right? And so, by the time we get to the Yom Kapur War in 1973, um, the let me give me this here. This was Egypt and in, in Syria. Okay, so again. No one country wanted to take on the Israelites, and they were, they were increasingly aware of the fact that the Israeli um, military was, was getting better and better and better and better and better and better and better. And better uh, to the point where, um, in, in some areas, they have the most capable pieces of equipment, whether it's um, Navy or Air Force or what the Army uses, uh, it's better than what the U.S. has because what they do is they take our stuff and then they improve on it. And it's, it's technically amazing what they have done, um, whether it's the F-16 or other aircraft. Okay. But anyway, so um, this is all about the Sinai and the Golan Heights because Israel is getting fed up with the war of attrition and, and them Syria and Jordan and Egypt being a, a, a camping ground for all of these insurgents. And so they, they wanted to be able to to be able to keep an eye on this better. And so they knew if they had access to the Sinai, they could see all, right, all the way to Cairo. If they had the Golan Heights, they could see all the way to Turkey. And now that was electronically as well as visually. And they also then had to control because they could see what was coming if anything was coming. Well, so in, in the uh, Yom Kippur War against Egypt and Syria, basically, apart from getting access to the Sinai and access to the Golan Heights, um, there really wasn't anything significant, except that the Israelites basically once again just wiped out whatever the, the Egyptians had you know, brought to the, to the, to the equation and, and what Syria had as well. And so they, they were basically nations without a military. And the, the, the Israelis were, were content with this. And these other countries realized that they're never going to be able to be what what, the, what what Israel is, because they don't have the GDP. They don't have the money. They don't have the, the, the budget to be able to do this, nor do they have the will to do it. See, that was the other piece. You've got to have a will to have a military. It has to be part of your your budget. It has to be part of your commitment. And so the, the Israelis were continuing to do this, and, and so by the time we got to this, um, basically all the nations that were directly around um, Israel were... Were, were, were no longer, they, were, they had become puppets. Puppets to the, the, to the nations east and south and, and north of, of them, right? And so what we have between 1971 and 1982 is what's known as the Palestinian insurgency. And, it's, it's, and so when you, when you hear insurgency, um, this is a basic definition of violent armed rebellion by small, lightly armed bands. And you could basically say that when you talked about lightly armed bands, it's like the cartels. You know, they send out a team here and a team there and a team here and a team there, and, and they're, they're all supported and they're, they really are. I mean, you know, we see, you've probably seen many of these pictures of these Toyotas with a guy with a 50 cal on it and they, they've got their, the, the Bravado with their, um, their, their AKs and so forth. But you gotta realize that they almost don't know which end of the rifle to use, right? They haven't been trained. They haven't been on a, on, a, on a range. They haven't, you know, learned any of the skills of a, of a modern infantryman. All right, and so they were armed bands, but they were dangerous because they they were dangerous because they were just firing in the air, and well, wherever the bullet comes down, it comes down. I mean, and, and wherever you know, whoever happens to be standing by the by the uh, by the, the the bomb when it goes off in the bus or wherever, um, and and so this is what characterized the next eleven years of, of uh, Israeli history, in Middle East history. Then there was a war with Lebanon, and because they were, again, the, the, uh, the IDF was getting fed up with, now we had the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organ- Organization, was headquartered in, in Lebanon, not in Palestine, and Arafat and some of the rest of the earlier men associated with it, and, and so Egypt just got, or Israel just got fed up it, and and they had a one-day war. And they just went head on. I mean, and basically, um, that was the end of Lebanon. And and the the Lebanon finally said, "Okay, look, you guys go to Palestine, get out of here. We don't want we don't want to be on the receiving end of this 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 war front uh, any longer." And so, so then now, so the the PLO then went down to the the Gaza Strip, and that's where they were headquartered, and that's where, where all the problems began to come from the south. And then there was the 85 to 2000, this, the South Lebanese-Lebanon War with Hezbollah. So Hezbollah is basically a surrogate for Iran and Iraq. And it, this is the situation where, frankly, is, as long as they're fighting Israel, they don't care where the money goes. As long as they've got guys who are willing to, you know, to do the work, to, 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 to lose their lives, etc. And that's what Hezbollah is. Hezbollah is just like a, a cartel. And it's and we, we talk about the different names on, on, the, on the Mexico border, um, and that's, that's what we have. So for, look, for 15 years this was going on, right? 87 to 93, we have the first Intifada, which is a rebellion, uh, uprising, or resistance movement. It's guerrilla warfare um, all over the Middle East because that's the only thing that works. It's the only thing they can do. And it's very difficult to fight. Um, we learned that in Vietnam, we learned it um, before that in Korea, and we're continuing to learn it in, in Korea today um, because the, the, the North Koreans are, are, are uh, digging um, tunnels underneath the DMZ, and they're showing up in all sorts of interesting places. All right? and, and so, but, but that's not just there. I mean, So we have this on the Gaza Strip, we have it coming from the north, we have it coming from the east, and, and this is what... What has been going on? So there's there's been this constant turmoil um, in, in 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 Israel all this time. Then so then 2000 to 2005, the second intifada, um, Palestinian. Oh, this one is is to a larger extent um, coming from the south. Um, it's intensified, um, and, and 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 so and again, it's this 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 war. That's not a war as we would normally describe it, but yet it's 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 a vi- sufficient number of sufficient amount of conflict that it makes life miserable in Israel, right? And eventually we get to the walls and so forth that they end up. So uh, July July 2006 to September we have another Lebanon war. In in December 2008 to to January we have a Gaza war, and, and Israel's in this this churn of, of having to go to war, basically mobilize um, their their war fighting individuals. And remember, in, in in Israel, in the IDF, everybody's in uniform, so to speak, right? And they mobilize. They send them back to their, their kibbutzes or to the city or to wherever they are, and, and and most every home has at least one rifle in it, right? They, they are ready to go on a moment's notice because they know that this is what they're going to be facing. And so when we, when we, when we take a look at the, the Gaza conflict here in October, what you need to realize is that this has been an ongoing problem since, you know, the early 2000s. This is not something that was just out of the blue overnight. And, and so without going through all of these in, in any, any level of detail, it's just... You've got to understand what, what keeps going on and, and, and how things are happening in the Middle East. And so what, what we have to, to step back and, 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 and ask a couple of questions. Why does Israel keep winning? Is there, is there a, a reasonable reason for Israel to keep winning in all of these conflicts? Exactly. Remember when we, when we talked in Genesis 12? God said, I'm going to bless those that bless you, I'm going to curse those that curse you. And remember the 185,000? How'd that happen? Right? And, there's, and, and this is where, when, when, we, when we try to understand the, 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 the contemporary, we have to understand the past. And that's where it's important for us to realize that in many respects, our Bible is the best history book available about human conflict in, the, in, in, in all of civilization. And, and when, we, when we don't grab a hold of that, we, we're puzzled. But if we, if we understand the Bible and we, we've, we've read it from cover to cover and we read it as we would, would read a history book, which is that it, it can very well be done that way, um, as well as you see the hand of God constantly. So, and then we ask the question, well, you know, the Oslo Accords the Dayton Accords, the, the, the Accords. The... And so we ask the question, when will there be enduring real peace in Israel? Do we have, do we have a concrete answer to that question? What is it? The, after the millennium, there will be war during the millennium. And so until, until the millennium is over with, there will be, to go back to the first, the first session that we had from Matthew 24-6, There will be wars and rumors of war. And when we're surprised at that, shame on us. Because Jesus said it. This is the way it's going to be. And and he's told us there there will not be peace on earth. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem, yes. But there will not be peace in Israel until the end of the millennium. So why should we be, be expecting any peace process to be successful? And at the same time, why should we not expect there to be ongoing war and conflict in Israel today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives, and et cetera? So w- w- let's, can you take it back a slide? This is not bad. okay, nope. Wait a minute. now I'll go no. okay, so let's pull this together, okay so um there's been a lot of stuff out there that and there've been uh, things on the edges, et cetera so if we're going to understand this okay, first of all, we have to build for ourselves a bible based history right and and I just finished reading ezekiel and, and zechariah um and, and it's amazing if you read them as a history book, in its context, it makes perfectly good sense. And it's understandable. And then we look at the history of civilization, and we study that, and we put, put the two together. And then we, we look at this, this other layer, of the geopolitical. The land itself will tell you the stories. Right? The land will tell you how the, fight, how the war is going to be fought. And who knows the, whoever knows the land best usually wins. Um, you can look at Napoleon. You can look at a whole host of the, of the generals. Of, and then, he, then to, to this you add a literal, simple Bible interpretation. Right? Now, this is where it becomes extremely important to us is when we talk about ourselves as Bible-believing people. If we don't read the Bible with the assumption that God wrote it in such a way that we can understand it, and it can be understood literally. It doesn't require, you don't have to have a magic wand to say, well, what, 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 what's the secret behind this verse or this this particular word or this particular? It's simple. It's easy to be understood. And so it's a literal, simple Bible interpretation. And we and we need to bring that to the equation. If you put together a, the Bible as a Bible-based history, a history of civilization, geopolitics, a, a, a literal. Simple Bible, we have understanding. We understand these things. It's easy to understand. right? But it's very dangerous if we choose to go down another route. And this is why I said equals nothing added. Okay? We don't need to add anything to what's already there. We don't need to add anything to the, the history of civilization. There's things that are being revealed that are facts, um, archaeological facts and other things that, that, that give us more understanding and more discernment, and, and, and again, it's facts, it's not interpretation. If we, if we go, to, go to Revelation 22, verses 18 to 20, 20 it says, For I testify unto every, to, unto every man that, that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto them the plagues that are written in this book. We see some of this in terms of the false prophets through the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And if any man shall take away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. And I just have to say, God said it. I'm not sure how He's going to do this, but this is this is His attitude toward those who choose to do what they what they choose to do, all right? He testified these things, say, "Surely I come quickly." Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Okay. Now, we, we say, you hear people say, even so, come, some, come Lord Jesus. But do they really mean it? Are they, are they really excited about that happening? Well, maybe, sometimes, but a lot of times, no. But the point here is this, it all pulls together very easily when we allow it to come together in its natural form and, 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 and we, we take the time to just do a little bit of studying, all right? now. Let's talk about it from another perspective. Right, we pull it together using a, a lot of other terms. When you take anti-Semitism, that is, I'm against the Jew, and I say anti-Zionism, I'm against Israel having a land, and you add to it now in the 21st century, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, anti-Christ and anti-Christianity, we equals an anti-God mindset, right? And so if we have an anti-God mindset at the core, we have what then comes out in terms of the practical reality of things, modern wokeism. Because modern wokeism, just look at what's going on in the college campuses. What's, what's going on in front of the, of the Lincoln Memorial yesterday? It's anti-Jew. Anti, anti-the land of Israel, it's anti-Christianity, and it's anti-God. All of those things fit together in a very nice, even, evenly understood package. And it's modern, and it means that this is what we have today. This is modern America. And, and when we understand it from this perspective, this is the idea set that's behind it all, it's, it makes it a lot easier to comprehend, and it, it takes away all the mystery. Because if, if somebody says, well, I, I'm opposed to the Jews, I'm opposed to Israel, I'm opposed to the Bible and Christianity, they are def- their default statement is, I, therefore, I'm opposed to God. Well, okay, so there are consequences to that. right? And so they have to believe something, so they create wokeism, and all the, all, all the aspects and parts that are part of that. And now we have where we're at today. You take the Bible out, you take the idea of Christianity and Christ out, you take Israel out, you take the land of Israel out, what are you left with? Right? And, and this is what we see in, in, in America today. It's also what we see in, in, in a large part around, all around uh, modern Europe. And so as, as you look at this, as you understand this, and as you grab a hold of this, it's comforting from my perspective to know that I know what I need to know and I can expect what I should expect because God's told you this is what you should expect to see happening. And he's given us the details in the scriptures to be able to understand it. And there's a, there's a lot of the aspects of this that, and this is to go back to what I was saying about Bible prophecy things, if you, if you take a look at this kind of as a holistic package, all of a sudden you know that can't happen. This isn't going to happen. That's, that's a typological that's typological nonsense because it's just it's it has no relationship to anything, whether it's history, the geopolitical aspect of things. It couldn't happen if you wanted it to happen, etc. So when we when we look at this as as modern Americans, we don't have to be wacky, crazy, you know, Bible goofy people. We just let the Bible speak for itself and we, we, we articulate what the Bible says. And, and help everybody to realize that and, and we don't have to, we don't have to defend anything. Uh, I was talking with Amy um, earlier when we talk about it being the dispensational aspect of things that is God' has had his economies has he's done things differently over the course of human history, that's dispensationalism and and th- throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God has said when he's he's given us sufficient information for us to know when he's coming back and how the events the event in sequence order is, is, is in place, right? So before the tribulation starts or at the point when the tribulation starts, there will be certain things happening. And then there will be the tribulation and then there will be the return of Christ and the millennium and then the new heavens and the new earth. And he's given it to us in a very, very simple timeline. And so our expectations, if our expectations are, are set against the scriptures themselves, And not the expectations of of, uh, uh, human beings who are are hallucinating about what the future could be. We we end up resolving all of this quite easily, right? So, where are we today? We're waiting on the Lord to return, and there's going to be wars and rumors of war. It's that simple. And what we saw on October seventh was just the most recent event as it relates to this. Will there be one before the end of the year? I don't know. Does God know? Yes. My faith is in the Lord, right? And I know that he's got it under control. And so if if we can't live that way, you have to ask yourself the question, in, in, in whom do I trust? And then we just get to get busy with doing what the, God, what the Lord has told us to do. So anyway, so... This is this is the end of this trip, if you will, or this journey. I hope that what you're able to understand is that what's going on in the Middle East is is not new, it's not a surprise, it's going to continue, and God's got it, and He's He's controlling all these little squabbles that have been going on, and He's going to let them happen again until He until Jesus comes back. So, let me uh, close in prayer, and then we'll. Split up for prayer. Father, thanks for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for making it so clear. When we're willing to just sit down and 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 just read it and let it speak to our hearts, and let the Holy Spirit take take the words on the page and uh, help us to see them and and to appreciate them and appreciate the beauty of the way that you've wrote it, written it. The people who who read it back in the day uh, understood it. We can understand it and. We can, we can understand it in, in, in the new context in which we're living because we, we see the things that, are, that would not have been understood by Ezekiel or the, the people of the nation of Israel or the, the leaders of, the, of that era. But we don't understand them today, and we can see what's going to happen, and we know that you're in control, and we know, ultimately speaking, this we're just a passing through. And, Father, may we have that perspective in terms of the way we live our lives Uh, through this holiday season as well as through the rest of our lives. And give you thanks and praise for the privilege of being able to know how to do that and to be able to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.